when a young sheriff's deputy responds to a call of a domestic disturbance. He's expecting the worst, but he never expected the paranormal. And then we travel to California. As a hotel burst into flames, one man stayed behind to save everyone else. The question is, is he still there? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys are staying warm, because I'm not. But somebody who's always warm, no matter the weather outside. Everyone stand up and get on your feet for one of our live stream contributors, Rudy Jazz. Woohoo, yeah, walk on in. Walk on in, Dead Rabbit Command, Rudy Jazz. Rudy, also a longtime Patreon supporter, longtime listener, and... Always tuning in for the Patreon live episodes. Everyone gets to hear those episodes. They're not exclusive to the Patreon people. But if you support the Patreon, you can listen to it live. It's basically an extra 20, 30 minutes of me going, uh, (laughs) I don't know how to end this episode. (laughs) That's pretty much what they hear. And they hear all the bad jokes I edit out. And, uh, yeah, it's about 20 minutes. (laughs) That makes up an additional 20 minutes of the uh, show. Me burping a lot. I guess I'm probably not selling it well. You're like, oh, great. I don't feel bad about not supporting the Patreon anymore. Rudy Jazz, you're going to be our captain, our pilot today. If you guys can't support the Patreon, if you guys don't want to hear me go, uh, for 20 minutes, that's totally fine. Just help spread the word about the show. That helps out so much. Rudy, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the hair hovercraft. We're going to glide on out of Dead Rabbit Command. Take us all the way out to Tennessee. Gliding over the land that we know as America. Specifically, we're headed out to Pickett County, Tennessee. And there we're going to meet a young sheriff's deputy. He didn't give his name online. We're going to go ahead and call him Chris. Chris said he'd been working for the sheriff's office for a while, and they deputized him in 2021, so he hasn't been an officer for long. And since he was the newest guy on the block, they had him handling all the basic calls. They were kind of giving him the grunt work. Well... One of the most dangerous phone calls, <laughs> I don't know why they gave this one to him, one of the most dangerous phone calls any officer can get, they hate him, they hate responding to these, is domestic disturbances, domestic violence calls. Because generally what happens, this is why you also, uh, personal advice here, be very, be very, very leery about interfering. If you ever are like walking out of a bar and you see a guy and a girl fighting, it can go south really quickly for you because you get in the middle. You just have a knee-jerk reaction, right, to watching a dude punch a woman. And so you walk up and you push that dude, and then that woman has you in a chokehold and she's clawing your eyes out as the dude's punching you in the stomach. Because no matter what is, no matter what has gone on in their lives to bring them to the point where this man and this woman are trading blows in the middle of the street, it's horrific to watch. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's horrific to watch. The second a third party shows up, the, that couple is so deeply in love and they will brutally they will brutally beat you down. Doesn't happen that way all the time, but it happens that way enough that police officers, I've had a lot of friends who have worked in law enforcement and they hate these calls because of that. They show up 
they hear someone's beating on the other person and they're like, oh, we got to go and settle this. And the next thing they know, they're fighting two people at once. They're trying to arrest one person. No, no, I love him. I love him. I don't want him charged. And then it's it can get super bad. So the fact that they sent this rookie, the fact that they're like, oh, let's go send Chris after it. He handles all the basic calls, including the most dangerous ones we don't want to do. He gets sent after this domestic violence call. Domestic disturbance call is actually what it was listed as. And this is in March 2022. He's headed out to the area. He listed it called Dale Hollow. Um, this is a huge area in Pickett County. It's huge. Uh, sometimes it's just referred to as Dale Hollow Lake. So I don't know exactly where this was at if you want to reenact this. Um, you might not want to. Not the domestic disturbance part, obviously, but the event we're coming up to. He gets the call, and they go, there's a domestic disturbance out by Dale Hollow. Go solve it. Woo, 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 woo. He has his sirens on. He's flying down the road in his cruiser. He gets to the house and begins to order whoever's in the house. This is the Pickett County Sheriff's Department. Come out of the house with your hands up. I repeat, come out of the house with your hands up. And what happens is he turns and he sees a man come around like the north side of the property. He didn't come out the front door. He kind of comes around to the side And Chris has his gun drawn now. It's a super dangerous situation. He has his gun drawn, and he's pointing it at the man. Get on her stomach! Get on her stomach! Get on the ground! Get on the ground! And the guy's like, uh... He's getting down on the ground. And then, about 20 yards to the south, he sees a woman coming around the corner. Down on the ground! Down on the ground! Show me your hands! Get down on the ground! But they begin, in very, very panicked tones in their voice to tell the sheriff's deputy to tell Chris, we're in danger, we're in danger, we're all in danger, we got, get down on the ground, get down on the ground, both of you on the ground. Chris says in his narrative, he goes, I am able to defuse the situation, they're starting to calm down. He says the suspects were disarmed, quote-unquote disarmed. He doesn't specifically say they were coming around with any weapons, whether they were firearms or melee weapons, but he says they were disarmed. And he was in the process of putting them in handcuffs. Because at this point, again, you want to de-escalate. This is, you've already been yelling at him for five minutes, pointing the gun at him. Now they're on the ground. You want to cuff them, and now you can get the side of the story because it's just Chris out there. And while he's in the process of doing this, taking them into custody so we can question them and find out what's going on, Chris suddenly flies 30 yards through the air Lands on his back. <laughs> and he's getting to his feet and he's like, What the hell was that? He said it felt like the air around him imploded and he was propelled backwards, which is a weird combination. An explosion is what blows you backwards, an implosion was everything comes inside, but he's saying the air felt like it imploded. Then he flew backwards, and he can't figure out what could pop- He goes, the only thing I could think of was someone launched an artillery shell at us. He goes, we're under attack. That's his first thing. Someone launched some sort of artillery at us. We're under attack, and he radios it in. He goes, I need everyone out here. Everyone, if you are in law enforcement, get out here as soon as possible. I'm under attack. 
and he radios in, when you show up at this location, engage all hostile targets. I mean, basically, you imagine you're another cop sitting in town. You're just drinking a cup of coffee, and all of a sudden you hear this guy, you hear the rookie being like, I'm under attack, I'm under attack. Kill everything, kill everything that's out here. Well, they take it seriously, because they don't know what's going on. Sure enough, you had the state police, the county sheriff show up. You had law enforcement officers of all stripes show up to this house in Dale Hollow. But all that they found was Chris and two suspects. There was no one else there. There's definitely no one lobbing artillery at them. And when they got there, they started to ask, like, what happened? Like, why did you call us? What was going on? And he said, uh, he just kind of didn't really tell them what had happened. He said, when he posted this, he goes, listen, I was not going to risk my career or my pension over this. Like, I was not going to tell him about what I felt. Because at this point, he realized they're not under attack. He can't really explain what's going on. So he kept his mouth shut. He didn't say anything. He didn't tell him. Now, I don't know how he wiggled out of the fact that he said, everyone get down here and engage all hostile targets. He could probably just say, you know, I'm new. I'm new. That's a rookie mistake. And he goes, listen, I've seen a lot of things. He's been an officer for over a year at this point, so he's probably going to see a lot more things as time goes on. But he goes, I've seen a lot of things, and I'm not easily frightened. But, I mean, I didn't. I was terrified. I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know what could have caused that. But I think he's not telling the whole truth in his post. He's leaving out some interesting details. I think he saw more. I think what he saw there was so frightening, he wasn't even willing to post it online. Because I'll say this when I saw this Reddit post, I read it and I go, this is going to be gone in an hour. And what I do most of the time is when I find stuff on Reddit, because I know how quickly like mods can delete things or the user can delete things, I'll make an archive of it which is basically it'll make a link that will never go away and it'll have a snapshot. It'll have this archive of it. So at any point, somebody else could find it so I can find it so I can go back and look at it. With this one, I read it and I go, this is going to be gone in an hour. And I didn't archive it because I go, I looked at this guy's account. He has like 94,000 karma. He's been on the platform for years posting an all I was looking through his posting history, posts about like recipes and his favorite kind of car and all the all this regular stuff, and then this popped up. I go, he's gonna delete it, and I'm gonna let him delete it. What I did was I took a screenshot of it and erased his username so it can't be traced back to him. I mean, I guess you could probably go how many rookies are in Pickett County, Tennessee, or wherever it was at, but plausible deniability, right? Took a screenshot. And so that'll be what's in the show notes, because I like giving you guys the show notes. I'm not always able to do that, but just for other researchers. Now, the reason why I say that I think he's leaving stuff out of his narrative is, one, he never tells us 
obviously he would have talked to these other two people about was go what was going on before the other officer showed up. He never he had them in custody, like they're sitting there under his control. It's not like they're running around the farmhouse. He never reveals what he asked them. That's very telling. Even if they didn't tell him anything, or they say we don't know either, you would include that in the narrative. And then he has this line in his post. He's talking about, you know, how terrified he was and everything like that. He said, quote, I do know that I was prepared to kill every last one of them had they crossed that line. Now, that sentence makes no sense in comparison to everything else he's writing. Taking a look at it, I do know I was prepared to kill every last one of them. So who who is he referencing? You could say the hypothetical people that are shooting the artillery shell, but I think he saw something there. And he left that detail out because he just couldn't write. He didn't he couldn't write that down. He couldn't say that. I do know that I was prepared to kill every last one of them. Had they crossed that line, what isn't that in reference to? Was it a physical line? Had he basically scoped out an area and says, if they get any closer, I'm going to open fire on them? Or was it some sort of metaphorical, like if they implode the air around me? But again, then who's they? I don't believe it's in reference to the two people who were there already. And again, remember, it's a domestic disturbance call, and they're at opposite ends of the house. Like, they're coming around different ends of the house. The story could totally be made up, right? We always have to say that. I'm almost going to stop saying that because we say it all the time. But if the story's true, it is truly what we consider high strangeness. Things like, is it ghost? Is it aliens? Is it cryptid? No, it's none of those. I mean, there. I think there's information missing. It could be alien. It's interesting the amount of information we do have, locations and general dates, you know, a month and a year. But then who are they? He has this quote, but I have seen a lot of things and I've never been that frightened. What, what did he see? He felt the implosion. I think he was leaving things out there. It's a super fascinating story. And I could see him... I could see why he removed it, though, as well. Because you don't want to be seen as the oddball. You could go, Jason, then why would you cover it if he posted this and then removed it? Well, you know, I mean, obviously, the, the, the point of this podcast is to be two things. One of them is to be entertaining. And it's definitely an entertaining story. But the second this podcast is a research vessel of high strangeness. And so we do, even though we find pieces of information that other people may go, I didn't really want to put that out there, we'll do what we can to strip the information from you. Like, Jason, you gave the you gave the guy's exact location. Well, hold on, hold on. Like, as a researcher, as a paranormal researcher, that stuff is important. It is. And these types of stories are important. It'd be like if someone went with Steady in a Jaguar and they took all these photos of a big cat walking through the jungle and then they come back and they're like look and i have all these photos of a jaguar and then they go but you can't see them you can't you're like jason that's the dumbest analogy you know what i mean it's science it's science fascinating story
I wish, I think it's one of those things that now more and more airline pilots do feel comfortable talking about stuff, and it's becoming less verboten. So hopefully it'll become more like that in all areas of life. I do believe that law enforcement has a lot of run-ins with the paranormal, and they just keep their mouths shut. Because you look like a big goof. Not to me. I think it's dope. But they just have this culture of, no, don't believe in that stuff. You're, you're a ghost cop boy. You know, they'll come up with a nickname for you. They'll treat you like garbage. And you won't get any promotions. It's, it's weird and it's dumb and I don't agree with it. That's the way that it is, though. Rudy Jazz, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys of the carpenter copter. We're going to leave behind Pickett County, Tennessee. Fly us all the way out to... California. As we're flying out there, I just as a side, I'll have to find the article for the show notes. I don't remember the exact date of any of it off the top of my head, but when I was doing that narrative of the police officer trying to get the people when I was, you know, talking to the the radio, it, there was this video. It came out. It was shortly after the Las Vegas massacre. When that guy, what was it, Stephen Paddock? We still never figured out anything about his motive. But Stephen Paddock opened fire on all those people in Las Vegas. Maybe like a week later, there was a police officer who got a call to a hotel. I don't remember what state it was in. I remember watching the video, though. It was quite chilling. He got a call to go to a hotel. There was a man with a rifle. He was aiming it out of the window of the hotel. So this police officer shows up with his body cam footage and he's in the hotel hallway and he's yelling at the guy to come out of the hotel with your hands up, put your hands up, hands up. And the guy walks out of the hotel and his hand, he's terrified. His hands are up. And this police officer then begins to shout at him. If I remember correctly, right, I'll put in the show notes. Maybe someone will watch the video. I don't recommend watching the video, but maybe someone will watch the video. But I remember watching it, and the commands the officer was giving him were, were so... Get down on the ground. Get down on the ground. Get your hands up. Don't move. Don't move. Get on the ground. Get on the ground. Don't move. Come towards me. Hands up. And it was just like, what in the world are you doing like what do you how do you react in that situation and this guy is now on all fours and he's sobbing and the officer is yelling these commands at him but he, it's such so tragic it was so tragic i'm watching this video as he was crawling on the ground as the man was crawling on the ground he has like his hands out in front of him he's crawling on the ground he's sobbing and this officer's pointing this, it's its a like, you know, nowadays the police officers have like these M16s. And the man's crawling down this hallway sobbing. And as he's crawling, his pants are starting to come down. You know, like when you're crawling on the ground and your pants aren't buckled or whatever, your pants can start to slide down. And he clearly reaches down to grab his pants to pull them back up. And this officer sends like seven rounds through his body like that. Kills him. And it, 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 it was just such a tragedy. So the gun wasn't real. It was a BB gun. And this kid, I keep saying he's a kid. You know, he's in his early 20s, right? I'm 46, so everybody is a kid if you're under the age of 30. And I watched the whole video. It's like a... <laughs> you're like, Jason, wow, this, this episode turned real dark real fast. It was a body cam, and it was almost like a rifle cam. It was just, like, so close to it. And 
Listen, I get it from the cop's point of view. People have guns in the back of their pants. People, if you're going to have a concealed pistol, he doesn't know it's a BB gun. He just gets a report a week, even maybe a couple days after Las Vegas massacre. There's a gun poking out of a hotel window. People keep guns in their waistbands. But, dude, I mean, like, a ma- like it's such an instinctual thing, like, as your pants are falling down to reach and pull them up. And just lit him up, dude. Lit him up. It was nuts. It was nuts. And so it is one of those things, like, when you're dealing with police, they will give you commands that don't make sense. Hands up. Don't move. Get on the ground. Get on the ground. Don't move. And you're like, what in the, like, what do I do? They say you you strike a pose, not like a little model pose. You keep your hands visible in the air and you go, I am afraid to move. I am afraid to move. I am not moving from this position. And you make yourself like clearly not a threat. Because they do that. They're so amped up that they're yelling out all of these various commands. And you like, what do I do? Do I not move or do I get on the ground? So you, I've seen, you know, people say to give that advice, you make a perfect, you have your hands completely up. Don't put them behind your head. I'm completely up, stand in a pose and say, I'm too scared to move. I'm too scared to do anything. I'm going to assume this pose. It's crazy. It's too, I, I listen. I mean, like, I feel sorry for that young man and his family. Tremendously feel sorry for them. Daniel Shaver was his name. He was... Daniel Shaver, 26 years old, was the man that was killed. He had the he had a pellet gun, and the officer who shot him was named Philip Brailsford. And he was found not guilty by a jury. So they did have a case. It happened January 2016. This whole thing went down. Anyways, yeah, and he he had previously been investigated for body slamming. <laughs> he had previously been investigated for body slamming a teenager. He walked on that. Crazy story. Crazy, crazy story. Well, Rudy, keep flying this carpenter copter. We're going to cheer us up a bit with the story of a man who died in a fire. I didn't even think about it. This story takes place at a hotel. I didn't even I didn't even mean to segue into that. I just go, oh yeah, it reminded me of that. Um this the the shooting took place in Mesa, Arizona. But we're not in Mesa, Arizona. This hotel, we are at Paso Robles in California. Paso Robles. And it's the late 1800s. We're standing in front of El Paso de Robles Mineral Spring Hotel. You guys are all depressed. <laughs> like, Jason, man, seriously, you just told a super disturbing story, and now you expect us to walk around in old-timey clothes? Well, yeah, you know, cheer up. Cheer up, I'm all tickling you. Come on. <laughs> Don't worry about that man and his family. Come on, buddy. Come on. I'm all wrestling you. I'm throwing you in the Mineral Springs laughing. Ah. Anyways, it's a Mineral Spring Hotel. And back in the 1800s, this, I mean, this was like a huge resort. You'd have people travel from all over America. They'd hop on the train and be like, cancel all of our plans for the next month, honey. We're riding across the rails to go to California, specifically to go to this hotel because they had these mineral springs in the area. And at the time, you know, nowadays you still have this, but mineral springs were definitely considered like a curative. Like you could go there and all your ills could be cured, which if you think about it, one, it doesn't really work, but secondly, do you, 
some guy suffering from leprosy and he's like in the mineral pool and he's like, ah, I can feel the lesions washing away from me. And you're like, oh, I just had like a slight cough. Get away from me. The El Paso de Robles Mineral Spring Hotel is a beautiful resort. And for whatever reason, somebody thought it would be good to advertise the hotel as fireproof. Like that was something they said. They'd come out at our hotel, Hot Mineral Springs. We got an indoor tennis court and it's fireproof. I'm like, what? Why'd you add that last part? I hope hope all hotels are fireproof. I never really thought about it before. But um, generally, when you say something is something proof, you're, you're, it's called foreshadowing. That's what we call it. What? Nah, not foreshadowing. It's just fireproof. Well, anyways, the hotel burned down. The hotel burnt down, but it took a while. It burnt down in 1940. So if you're going to say it's fireproof, you know, 60, 70 years, it's a pretty good time. I think you could count it as fireproof at that point. And what's interesting is at this point in the story, it's this early in the story that the narrative diverges. I did a lot of research on this one because I thought it was really interesting. So the story I'm going to tell you is the most um, agreed upon version of it, but you'll find a, a ton of different versions on this story. It's December 19th, 1940. It was 9 p.m., and the, at this point, it was called the Paso Robles Inn. It was a much shorter name. It caught on fire. And at the time, there were 200 guests in attendance. So this is a really fancy hotel, even in the 1940s. But this fire broke out. And at the time, there was no 911. 911 wasn't started until 1968. And it wasn't... I remember 911 when it came out in California. It was like the early 80s. Really early 80s, I remember they'd run commercials saying, if you're in an emergency, call 911. I don't know if that was the actual song, but they had to they had to advertise to us you could call 911 because it was fairly new. It took a long time for it to catch on. In 1987, only 50% of the United States had access to 911. That's a little trivia for you. But for, for the people, that's trivia for us, but for the people trapped in this burning hotel, they're like, oh, who do we call? They go the fire department. Do you know their number? No, nobody knew the fire department's number. You'd have to call that firehouse. So the night clerk of the hotel, J.H. Emsley, decided he was going to call. He didn't know the fire department's number, but he was going to call every room in the hotel to warn them that there's a fire going on. So he's inside room 1007 and using his phone uh, back then. He's using the rotary phone and he's like, guys, the place is on fire. They're like, ah, and then he hangs up. Hey, place on fire. And he just does this over and over again. Well, while he's doing that, he's like, I hope I got everyone because I'm in the middle of having a heart attack. Uh, uh, and he's like trying to dial him and he's like, uh, fire, fire. And although he died of a heart attack, no one died in the fire. He was able to warn enough people by phone by calling their rooms. Everyone is able to get out but him. Died of a heart attack in room 1007. That's a good way to go out. You go out a hero, man. 
Let's fast forward quite a few years. And at this point, the inn was rebuilt. It was rebuilt using some of the bricks from the burned down hotel. I figure that's save a little bit of money. And then there was an earthquake. But a few years after the original Inferno, there's a clerk at the front desk and all of a sudden... Picks it up. Pastor Robles in. Most fireproof hotel in town. Our new one. Our new one's even more fireproof. Hello? The night clerk says, Hello? That clerk's like, what in the world was that? <laughs> How would you get back to work after that? He's like, oh, time to do my taxes. I'd be like, it's time to change my pants. Good thing my work has a functional laundry mat. I'd be like, I'm out. I'm taking a break, dude. What was happening was they were getting phone calls to the front desk warning them that the building was on fire. And the first time they got it, they were like, oh, no, the building's on fire. My reputation of being fireproof is ruined yet again. But they would check the building. There'd be no fire. This happened on and off. They would get these phone calls, and it would warn them the building's on fire. Well, one night, now we're fast-forwarding quite, quite a few years, post-1968, for example, the night clerk's sitting there. This phenomenon had been going on for a while, but like, what? It, we don't know what it is. Is it a prank? Night clerk's sitting there one night, and he hears roaring down the street, woo, 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 a fire engine. Night clerk looks up, and he watches the fire engine pull up right outside of the hotel that he's in. <laughs> the firefighters come running in, and they go, where's the fire? He goes, 911 just got a phone call that this hotel was on fire. Some sources say there was only one phone call. Other sources say this happened quite a few times, that they kept, 911 kept getting phone calls, that there was a fire at Paso Robles Inn. They kept getting these phone calls. Until eventually 911, again, if it was one call or multiple calls, we're not for sure, but 911 initiated a backtrace of the phone call. It was coming from Paso Robles Inn, and it was coming from the phone in room 1007. There was no human that was making those phone calls. It was coming from room 1007. Sometimes the story says that the room was locked. I don't know if it's like a side room for... Because the night clerk was in there. I don't know if it was actually like a room you can stay in. Or like an office type of room. But they say the room was locked. No one was in there. No one was actually making these phone calls. And yet the front desk was getting them. And then once the 911 line was established. So if this story is true, what's the state of it today? Like at this point, does the 911 office have, have a picture of the Paso Robles Inn stapled to their board? And it says, do not respond to calls from here. No, the answer is actually far more interesting than the 
phenomenon continuing, right? To say that, oh, it happens to this day. It's actually way more interesting than that. According to reports, this happened. The front desk was getting the calls and then 911 was getting the calls until the hotel decided to switch from analog phone lines, which is the phone lines that, you know, I grew up with, to T1 digital phone lines. So they're sending a digital signal. You could cram more information through it. They're used, obviously, for internet access, T1 lines. And you would need less lines for more phones because you can move more lines, more information through the lines. So it's just an economic thing and a speed thing. So when they upgraded from analog to digital, the call stopped. Which is beyond fascinating to me. It really is. When we look at stuff like white noise, when we look at the phenomenon of ghosts, of the dead talking to us, I can almost guarantee there is a difference in how it is processed, how this information is processed in. And I'm talking about like an analog wave may be easier to pick up a ghost voice than a digital wave or a digital it, it, I mean, you can look at the, the way that the pattern is repeated, and they're completely different. There's a huge difference between analog and digital. And I'm wondering if, for whatever reason, the ghost can't speak on that digital spectrum. It's not picking it up. Which is fascinating to me. It's funny because this idea that the more technologically advanced we become, the less superstitious we become. First off, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. I think the more technologically advanced we become, people feel less open about talking about their superstitions because they're going to get mocked. Mockery is probably the greatest weapon against the open-minded. It really is. You can be totally open-minded, but you don't want to tell anyone because you're afraid you're going to get mocked. You're afraid someone's going to make fun of you. And so... I'm wondering if, let's extrapolate this out and wrap the episode up like this. Right now, we went from the analog technology, so tape recorders and old-timey phones, phonographs, stuff like this. We moved to the digital, and that basically made it harder for the ghost to communicate. But what if, as technology continues to advance, we end up creating a form of technology that makes it easier for them to communicate? We don't even mean to do that. The phenomenon of the orbs, those little balls that appear in photos, those little glowing balls that appear in photos, a lot of people say those are spirits. A lot of people say that's just dust. But those never appeared before the invention of the digital camera. You don't find those on old photos. You do not find those in old film photos. They only appear on digital cameras. So if it's a paranormal event, the inventor of the digital camera didn't make it. Didn't go, well, you know, it's going to take a lot of pictures. You can store them on a little chip. And ghosts. Don't <laughs> take pictures of ghosts. People are like, what? What's up with that last part? He's like, yeah, I invented it. Not just because it's snazzy and it can fit in your pocket, but it can take a picture of a ghost easier. You're like, what? I'm wondering if that march towards technology will make it easier to find. A long time ago, I did an episode about the ghost phone. This guy was inventing this device to talk to the dead. I get, I like signed up for his email list. 
he's still moving forward with that. He is 100% for sure he's figured it out. Could you imagine? We talk about, like, if aliens come down. That's a common thing. We go, what if aliens came down tomorrow? How would that affect society? How would the Pentagon react? How would society react? How would religion act? How would you act? What would happen if two months from now, someone comes out with a ghost phone and go, no, try it. Try it yourself. You can talk to any ghost you want. You're like, what? Try it. Here, this is not a fraud. This is not a fraud. I'm putting this down. Pick it up. Pick it up. And you can talk to the dead. That would be way more earth-shattering than aliens showing up. I really think that would... Because then you would simply ask a ghost, hey, are aliens real? And they're like, no. I floated all around. They're not... They're, I can't find any. There's some fungi on some planet. And there's some, like, lizard... Not lizard people. That would have been cool. But there's just, like, lizards walking around on Alpha Centauri 8. Stuff like that. But, I mean, like, spaceships? Nah. What? Okay. Can you tell me... <laughs> would you ever stop using that phone? First off, of course, you would talk to all your loved ones. You'd be like, hey, hey, how's it going, man? Missed you. But then, eventually, you'd be like, I wonder why. I wonder what Mark Twain's up to right now. He has like a thousand phones at once. He's like, ah. It would change. It would totally be the craziest thing. It would be insane. It would change. It 100, for obviously, your first question would be like, well, what's it like? Which religion is right? That would be your first question. That If aliens showed up, religions would totally be like, ah, they're, they're, Catholic. <laughs> they're Catholic too. Look at their ships. It looks like a giant pointy hat. They would totally just co-opt it or try to um, convert them. We'd be trying to sell them stuff and buy things, assuming they were peaceful, right? We would try to have commerce. We would do all these things that humans do. We'd figure out a way. We'd adapt. If you could talk to ghosts, it would be the biggest seismic shift in human history. I, I mean, I don't even know how... You'd be like, okay, well... I'm a ghost now since I know what it's like. Since I get float around. <laughs> I'm riding the lizard on Alpha Centauri 8. I'm like, woo, this is way better than you made it sound out. I'm arm wrestling Mark Twain. I, I mean, we the world would... I, it would be so insane. I actually never thought about that until I started going off on this. Never even popped in my head. Um, I originally was just going to talk about how technology would affect the dead or something like that. That's what I had written in my notes, and now I'm writing lizards on an alien planet. I, yeah, it, it would be insane. And who knows if that technology is coming. Not necessarily the soul phone, the ghost phone, whatever. I'll put his updates in the show notes but and that episode as well. But, I mean, just, like, imagine if a new tech... They have that new diet law. That, they have that new weight loss pill. It's supposed to be diabetes medicine, and now they're thinking it might be the best-selling drug of all time because you take it's an injection it's like thirteen thousand dollars a month but you lose like 30 percent body weight so you get super slim they didn't set out to make that they were trying to set out a drug for diabetes who knows like imagine if tomorrow someone brought to you a device that 100 was not a fraud could contact the dead 
And it's not just for you, right? It's not just your buddy being like, hey, you know, what were you doing last weekend? You're like, I was sitting around watching YouTube for eight hours. Well, I invented a device that can talk to the dead. You're like, oh, you overachiever. It's like out there. It's like he's doing the talk show circuit and he's been at the White House. He's traveling the world and he's showing off his phones. And then in three months, you can buy your own. You can have a phone sitting at home and you can talk to the dead. He goes, I just was trying to invent a new blender. I was just trying to, like, make something else. But then I realized that at this certain frequency, I heard an old relative go, Johnny, is that you? I'm like, what? Johnny, it's Aunt Esmeralda. What? She's like, it's Aunt Esmeralda, you deaf fool. Listen to me. I'm from the, I'm dead. I'm a ghost. You're talking to me. What? That's all he says. He makes the breakthrough of a lifetime. He just keeps going, huh? That would be amazing. That would be so awesome. And it would be earth-shattering. No religion could... Well, one religion would be fine, right? Whichever one was real. The ghosts are like, oh, yeah, no, we totally miffed that one. That was the real religion. But every other religion would be like, uh... Well, for they to go, this isn't true. They don't, don't listen to your dead relatives. Listen to us. And you'd be like, I don't know. I mean, like, I kind of knew that person when they were... What? It's so funny. Now I'm just going off ranting, but you people would think it was like demons and stuff. You would have people who would say that. You'd have people who would say it was demonic and they were trying to mislead you. But I mean, like, it's, it's Mark Twain. It's Mark Twain over there. It's Mark Twain. You're talking to America's greatest author. He's saying wise stuff. So is it possible that the phantom caller of Paso Robles Inn is still making the phone calls? We just can't hear them anymore. That there's a lost soul still sitting in room 1007, picking up the phone and dialing the number, trying to warn people that the building's on fire, but he doesn't know that he was the only death during the inferno. And if moving from analog to digital made it not that he stopped making the phone calls, but that we stopped hearing them, what will happen when technology advances again and again and again to a point where his voice can not only be heard, but is heard more clearly and more strongly, and you can communicate back to it? How would society react to that? How would you react to that? Could you ever truly trust the voice of the dead? Or would in the back of your mind, would you think this was some sort of demonic trick? We may not know the answer to that question. But as technology keeps marching forward, we may be forced to have an answer for that question. deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Nice.